Thank you, Cliff. If you have your Bibles this morning, we'll be in Psalm chapter 19. Psalm 19 will be the focus of what we're doing this morning. Uh, Primarily the middle section, but I'll read the entire psalm in the beginning. Apologize, I was uh, getting over strep throat the last week, so I maybe have a, a few water breaks in the midst of this. <clears throat> Psalm 19, starting in verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom, leaving his chamber, and, like a strong man, runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Uh, At this time, watch me as I step several steps from the podium. Take off my glasses without which I can't read much. Cover my eyes. Avoid the steps that are right in front of me, to which I would fall to my doom. And say this, Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You place a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. 1 Corinthians 13. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge... And if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, then I am nothing. And if I deliver up my body to be burned and give up all that I have, then I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. Love does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. And as for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I 
spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. Uh, There are more verses that I could do from memory. There are more sections I could do from memory. There are not more chapters I could do from memory. Uh, Hopefully, uh, one year from now, today's date, I will be able to add Romans 8 to that list of things that I can do from memory. I'm sure I didn't do that perfectly. There had to have been some words I messed up. But I can't tell you how helpful it has been to me in my life to have those passages of Scripture memorized. The times that I have remembered what love is when I receive it from my wife and when I fall short of it in giving it to her. The times in which I'm comforted by knowing that the Lord is with me and am comforted by his rod and his staff of the great shepherd. It is a great comfort and help to have scripture memorized. And that is part of why we are going to be memorizing Romans 8 together. And if you have been hearing me say over and over that we're going to do it together and you keep thinking, I can't do that, you can. You can. You absolutely can. You have more memorized in your head than you think you do. You have more knowledge in your head than you think you do. But this sermon today won't be a lecture on how to memorize scripture. It won't even be a TED talk on some tips for us on how to do that better. Today, I want us to remember why we should be doing this in the first place. I want us to see the the benefits due to us from the word of God to encourage us to place a special focus on those words, the words of God in 2023. Not just in 2023, though, in every year that follows that as well. And I think Psalm 19 is going to help us toward that goal as we do that. This psalm kind of has three different sections. And the first section we focus on how God has revealed himself generally to all people. Then it goes specifically into how he has done so in his word, in his law, his decrees. And then it kind of shows us the, the effects, the results of those, uh, th- that, those same decrees of his law. So starting in verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words, whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom, leaving his chamber, and, like a strong man, runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. The psalm begins in the first six verses by talking about the ways in which God has revealed himself to us. His works in creation, the the sky and the heavens even, they are declaring his glory. And ultimately, all that exists has been created by God for his glory. We, believe it or not, are not the center of the universe. He is. So even the, the facts of the gospel, God's work to save sinners, the gospel isn't only for that purpose, to save you. It's to save you to result in him receiving the glory that he is due. That's why our purpose here at Pleasant Grove focuses on his glory before our action. We exist to glorify God and to enjoy him forever by being and making disciples of Jesus Christ. 
all we are doing in our purpose is joining up with the same purpose that all of creation already has, to declare the glory of God. And the psalm says the sky, the heavens, day and night themselves, they all reveal the knowledge of who God is, of what he's like. And they do this effectively. There's no speech whose voice is not heard. They tell everyone exactly what they're supposed to tell us. And this knowledge reaches everywhere from the end of the heavens. Nothing is hidden from the light and heat of the sun of God's glory. And then in the middle, it switches from talking about God's general revelation, how he's revealed himself to all people everywhere through creation, to the things that he has revealed specifically to his people through his word, his special revelation. These are the things that he's given us exactly and explicitly in what he has written to us in this, this book, these words. Without God making these things clear, we would have no way of knowing the things that we know about him from these words in Scripture. This special revelation happens when God speaks. So we receive it through his written word now. We can't get it anywhere else. But because he's revealed it to us, we can now receive it. In this middle section, verses 7 through 11, that's going to be the, the primary focus today in just a moment. Because they're talking about both what God's word is like and what effect it has on us when we encounter it. From there, the psalm continues, based on what God's word, his special revelation is like and what it does for us, to tell the results it can bring about in us, through us, the opportunities we have available to us because of God's word. Picking up in verse 12, who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. His word reveals our own errors. It reveals our hidden faults. It shows us those things that we wouldn't know are wrong without it. Were it not for the revelation of God, we could wander into great sin. We could stumble into great transgression, and we would have no idea that we had even done that. This word is given to us to keep us innocent from the evil that we're capable of. So the psalm shows us why God has revealed himself, what effects that revelation has on us, and what results we get from heeding that revelation. It comes full circle from the beginning of the psalm, talking about God's glory, to the end of the psalm, talking about how people like us can be acceptable before a glorious God like he is. And the bridge between those two concepts, between who God is and his glory and how he's revealed himself, and how we can be acceptable before him, is the word of God. What he has revealed to us and what he has told us. In this book, in this Bible, we are shown who he is. How glorious he is. We're shown our own sin. The evil which infects us. But we're also shown that God loves us in spite of our sin. That he saves us from our sin. So that while we were wretched sinners, we need not stay that way. The Bible shows us how we can be acceptable before God through his sacrifice. Through the substitute of Jesus Christ, his person, and his finished work on our behalf. The word of God is given to us to show us who he is and what he's done. So that we can be changed by that word to the glory of God. So 
while that's the flow of the whole psalm, I'm going to focus for the rest of the sermon primarily on that middle section today. Verses 7 through 11. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. In this text, we will see the effects that God's word has on his people. And I think that's especially important for us as we place a special emphasis over this next year on memorizing scripture, on hiding God's word in our hearts. So today, you're going to see nine encouragements from these verses, nine ways that God's word should encourage us. And the first encouragement we have is to be revived by his perfect law. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. So what he gives is law. It's decree. It is the standard to which we should hold ourselves. It's what he is holding us to. So the details really matter. The reason that lawyers get paid so much money, the reason we have so many contentious Supreme Court debates today, is because when it comes to the law, details really matter. How we understand and interpret laws, how we read them and make it all fit together, that matters. And the word of God, his Bible, is the law. But whereas our human laws are flawed, imperfect, often unjust, his law is perfect, has no errors. It cannot fail. It never says the wrong thing. It never communicates something it doesn't mean to say. The law of the Lord is perfect. And in that perfection, our souls are revived. We're refreshed. We're enlivened by its perfection. Can you imagine what it would be like to, to know and operate under a perfect law? No paperwork that doesn't make sense. No competing philosophies leading anyone astray. We should know his word so that we can be revived by his perfect law. But this verse also encourages us to be made wise by his sure testimony. That's the second encouragement we see. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. I used to teach eighth grade math. And as frustrating as that job often was, one of the worst aspects was solving little disagreements and spats between 14-year-olds. Everything was always he said, she said. He copied off me. No, she copied off me. He took my lunch. No, she took mine. He's looking at me funny. Well, she was looking at me funny first. Everything was always he said, she said. No one could ever agree what was actually happening or who said what first or why the, the fight was happening. It was awful. Every time I would have to go on a fact-finding mission, listen to testimony from each side, and every time I did that, neither side ever made any sense. There was never two rational people having a discussion that made any sense at all. There was always two eighth graders arguing over absolutely nothing for no reason. The testimony of an eighth grader in trouble is a lot of things, but sure is not one of them. 
It's not trustworthy or steady. It's shifting and thin. It can't be trusted. But God's testimony, the testimony of the Lord, is absolutely sure. And sure testimony, sure facts, lead to wisdom. When the facts are not in question, wisdom is actually possible. When you know exactly what's happening, you can find the path forward. And that is true for everyone. Even the simple are made wise by God's sure testimony. I have met, I think, everyone in this room. And I have yet to meet someone who is incapable of learning simple facts, of learning simple truth. No one in here is someone that I would say is a simple person who cannot be made wise. No one in here is so simple that there is a footnote at the end of verse 7 that says, The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple, except for Nathan Miller, who is just so dumb, who is so unbelievably stupid, who is so incredibly simple that wisdom is just beyond his reach. He cannot be made wise. You might hear me talk about memorizing all the scripture and be really intimidated by it. I get that. I'm intimidated by it. I have tried to memorize Romans 8 by myself twice in my life. I think verse 11 is as far as I ever got. Okay, I'm counting on the rest of you to get me through verse 39. But it's absolutely possible for us to do that. We can do it. You might think it's just too hard. It's just too many verses. It's just not something you're capable of. You know too many other things. And there's just no space left for these verses to get into your head. Maybe you're, you think you're too old. And you can't remember anything new that you could be taught. Maybe you think you're too young. You can't remember your multiplication tables. Much less a chapter of the Bible. Let me remove those excuses and hopefully all those fears. If the sure testimony of the Lord can even make wise the simple, then surely everyone here can take in that testimony. The first step to being made wise by it. You can do this. We're going to do it together. It'll be okay. And this won't feel like a terrible chore and a heavy burden if we do it right because of what the Bible says in verse 8. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. So the third encouragement we should have is that we should also be encouraged to be be joyful by his right precepts. When we learn, when we understand and tap into his revelation in his word, it rejoices our hearts. Some texts are harder to read and to understand than others. But when we encounter his word, the general effect it has on us, the general emotion and state it leads us to, is joy. Our hearts can rejoice in his right precepts. We can rest easy knowing that we are sitting under that which is right. No one likes being wrong. No one likes having to grapple with the idea that they might be wrong. But the one who can point to scripture as his support never has to worry about that. What a relief. What a joy he has given us by revealing to us his right precepts. We can know that which is good. We can be enlightened by that which is pure. The rest of verse 8. The commandment of the Lord is pure, 
enlightening the eyes. So this verse should also encourage us to be enlightened by his pure commandment. We can see that which is pure. It's been shown to us and revealed to us. We couldn't before, but now we can. We're no longer stumbling around in darkness, for now we have seen a great light. And this enlightenment, this knowledge, these effects should cause us to fear the Lord forever. Verse 9, the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. So we're also encouraged to be fearfully clean forever. When we talk about fearing the Lord, there's a, a fuller meaning to that word fear than what we typically think about. When we hear fear, we usually think only of terror. We think only of being afraid. 1 John 4, 18 says this, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. So we might read that and think that we shouldn't even fear God because we're supposed to love God. And if there is no fear in love but perfect love casts out fear, then the fear of the Lord sounds like something that we shouldn't have. Yet biblically, particularly in the Old Testament, this concept of fearing God and loving God are very closely tied together. Proverbs 9 verse 10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Proverbs 16 6 says, By steadfast love and faithfulness, iniquity is atoned for. And by the fear of the Lord, one turns away from evil. I think this verse in Psalm 19 can help us see a little more clearly how we who love the Lord and are loved by him should still be counted among those who fear him in some sense. When we understand what that word fear really means. Thomas Watson, my favorite Puritan, uh, in commenting on the Ten Commandments said this. As the embankment keeps out the water, so the fear of the Lord keeps out uncleanness. You see, we don't fear him actively. We don't fear God in the way that some of you might fear spiders or heights or snakes. We don't fear him in such a way that the mere thought of him sends us into a cold sweat. But we fear him in the sense that we understand the only reason we don't have an active fear of him, the only reason we don't break into cold sweats when we think of God, is because of his own grace and his own mercy toward us. It's when we understand that the same God who we normally would and should fear is the God who now we love and know on an intimate level. The God who has saved us from the sin. The God who did not want to be only feared, but wanted to also be loved by his creation. The fear of the Lord is clean. It's the beginning of wisdom. It's how we turn away from evil. A right understanding of who God is and who we are, of where and how we stand in relation to him. That's what pushes us toward clean living, toward a clean conscience. So if clean living, a clear conscience, if that's what you're looking for in 2023, then I think the fear of the Lord is integral to that process. And none of that matters. No fear of the Lord. No living in light of his precepts. No trying to do what is exactly right all the time. None of that matters without the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
without his sacrifice in our place so that we can receive his righteousness in the place of our sin as well. A clean conscience, a clean slate, that's only possible through the gospel. True and right fear of the Lord, that's only possible for a Christian. And this psalm tells us that this true fear, which is clean, which leads to cleanness, endures forever. That his sacrifice, his perfect substitution, was once and for all. It never has to fade. It never goes away. So 2023 doesn't have to be the only year you have a clean fear of the Lord. If you are his, it's merely the next year in which you'll have that clean fear. Through what he has revealed in his word. That's just how it works. These are some of the the basic facts and the rules of life. And verse 9 also tells us that these rules are true and righteous altogether. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. So we're encouraged here to be righteous by his true rules. You see, there are no loopholes in God's law. Every sport, every game, every other system has rules that don't seem to make sense. They have something that we hear and we think, why on earth would that be how it is? Why, whenever you fumble into and out of bounds in the end zone, is it the other team's ball on the 20-yard line heading the other way? That doesn't make sense. Why can targeting be overruled by the booth and yet still be a penalty on the field costing 15 yards for the team? doesn't make any sense. It's a bad rule. Why can someone from the stands reach over into the field and and interfere with the baseball and then all of a sudden the guy who's about to catch it no longer has a catch, it's a home run? Or the opposite, depending on whether it's out of bounds or over the fence. None of that makes any sense. And yet these are the rules of the games that we watch every year, every day, all the time. They don't make any sense. There are weird loopholes in them. But there are no weird loopholes in God's law. We don't have to play the game of rules that don't make sense with the rules of God, with the rules of reality. They are true and righteous altogether. So knowing them and following them should lead us to righteousness as well. And these same rules, same law, same testimony, decrees, they are to be desired more even than gold. Verse 10. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. So this psalm encourages us to desire his riches. The worth of what he has given us should be what we want more than any other riches that we might seek. No diamond sparkles as brightly as the law of God. No gold glitters as purely as his law. No silver shines as pristinely as his word. No stock pays out the return that his decrees do. No cash pays as immediately as his testimony. To know and love the word of God, and even more so, the God revealed through his word, is of more value than all else that we might desire. So desire his riches in 2023. But desire them not just as a discipline, not just in the hope of some future payout. No, Pursue him so that you might enjoy his sweetness. Verse 10. Much more to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. 
This verse encourages us to enjoy his sweetness. You see, financial advisors have told everyone as plainly as possible how to be financially healthy and secure. Spend less than you earn and save money investing as much as you can. That's it. It's pretty simple. It sounds incredibly simple. Like that was one sentence, right? But do you know why we don't do that? Because that stinks. It's a pretty bitter pill to swallow. It is not sweet. Doing that may be more valuable in the long run than even fine gold. But no one hears that and says, ah, like honey from the honeycomb. Mmm, it's sweet in my mouth. Yes, I love, I can't wait to spend less money than I have in my bank account all the time, every day for the rest of my life and send as much off to some mutual fund that I've never heard of and just wait and see if it happens to have more money in it later. No one hears that and says, mmm, sweetness, delicious financial advice. And yet, that's the reaction we should have when we read God's word. It's the elixir of life to people who are dying. When I read the instructions on the inflatable life preserver under my seat on an airplane, I don't read that as sweet. I read that as boring. And in a lot of ways, I read it as something that's pretty self-explanatory. You pull the cord and plates, I'm fine, I'm good. But let me tell you, if I were bobbing up and down in the Atlantic Ocean after my plane has crashed, and I'm reading the instructions on the inflatable life raft, all of a sudden, those same words are really sweet to me. They're a big deal to me in that moment. There are no words on the planet that I would rather be reading in that moment freezing cold in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean, then how to inflate the life raft that is before me. Without the word of God, which he has given to you to reveal himself to you, you are bobbing up and down in the ocean that is the vast universe. You are carbon matter on a rock hurtling through space. So these words in this book should have that same sweetness to you should have that same effect on you. You can enjoy the sweetness of the salvation that is offered to you by the God of the universe because it is right here, ready for the taking. Simply words to be read, and in those words there is life to be had. But the final encouragement we get from these verses in the middle of Psalm 19 is to find warning and reward in this book. Verse 11. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. By what God has given you, you've been warned. You are without excuse. So heed the warning. And in heeding that warning, find your reward. I am as excited about memorizing scripture together as I have been about anything we've done as a church since I became your pastor a little over a year ago. I could be emphasizing anything I want to as your pastor in 2023. In fact, I've been told by other men that I love and respect that I should be focusing on more practical concerns for our church. I should be focusing on other things. So I should be putting my time and emphasis on something else because I really only get to emphasize one thing, right? I can't emphasize a dozen things. That means there's no emphasis at all. I get one thing, and the one thing that I've been doing over the last several months leading up to now and will be continuing doing throughout the entirety of 2023 is for us to memorize Romans 8 together. 
And I am so excited to have that opportunity. Why not make that one thing I emphasize outreach so that the church grows? Why not make it a capital campaign so we have more money to do what we need to do? Why not make it a list of things to do and not do so that we will look like we are more holy in the new year? Why not do those things? Because in these words, there is the sweetness of life. And there is not the sweetness of life in anything else. Anywhere else. We are memorizing scripture together because if there is one thing I want to emphasize more than anything else for our church in 2023, it is the gospel of Jesus Christ found in the word of God. That is our focus. There is nothing else I could give you that is perfect, reviving the soul. There's nothing else that is sure, making wise the simple. I haven't found anything else in all of my life, something that is right. Rejoicing the heart or pure, enlightening the eyes. No capital campaign is clean, enduring forever. No outreach is true and righteous altogether. No list of things to do or not do is to be more desired than gold or sweeter than honey. We can't find this kind of warning, this kind of reward anywhere else. But I think if we'll get the gospel right. If we'll put the right focus on who God is, on what he's done, how he's revealed himself to us in his word. If we will become people of this book, then there is no telling what God will do in and through us in 2023. So let's hear his word every week when we gather together. Let's sing his word in our songs and preach it in our sermons. And then throughout the week, let's memorize Romans 8 together. Not because it's going to get us a better spot in heaven. Not because it's going to make us superior to other people. Not because we'll be able to show off how much scripture we have memorized. But because it will conform us to heaven even now on earth. It will make us like him even now on earth. It will show us who he is. So that we might see him one day. Though now we see in a mirror dimly. Then we will see Face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. His word will get us ready for that day. And there's nothing else that will do that. So be encouraged this morning. Read the scriptures. Pray the scriptures. Sing the scriptures. Hear the scriptures. Memorize the scriptures. And when you do so, I think you will find that they are sweeter than honey from the honeycomb to you. Let's pray. God, thank you for this day. Thank you for all that you've done for us, Lord. Thank you for the opportunity to be able to to read and hear your word with your people. Thank you for your mercies, which are new every morning and every year. Thank you for how you've revealed yourself to us, not only in all of creation, not only in such a way that we would fear you and tremble before you, but also in such a way that we might know who you are, what you've done, that we might love you as we fear you. Help us to hide your word in our hearts in 2023. Let this be the year where we are more conformed to you than any before. And let that be the same thing that is true next year as well. And the next after that. 
we love you and we thank you for all you've done for us. Thank you for the gift of another day and another year. Help for us to steward it well, to count our days, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.